in Matthew chapter 1, started a series last week uh, called who is, uh, who is This King of Glory? Talking about Jesus and, and investigating who he really is, who he really was to humanity. Today we're looking at the idea of Jesus as Savior of the world. Matthew chapter 1, beginning of verse 18 says, The birth of Jesus came about this way after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph. It was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That last phrase <laughs> is, I believe, one of the most powerful statements of what Jesus' life on earth was all about. He will come to save his people from their sins. Now, the names and titles that we find of Jesus throughout the Bible tell a story. They tell about a purpose. They tell us who and what Jesus is to us. They tell us about his character. They tell us about his passion. They tell us about his love and his purpose. In 1 John, he's called our advocate. In Revelation chapter 1, he's called the Alpha and the Omega. In Acts chapter 3, he's called the author of life. In John chapter 6, he's called the bread of life. In Ephesians 2, he's called the chief cornerstone. In Ephesians 1, he's called the head of the church. Revelation 3 tells us that he's holy and true. 1 Timothy chapter 1 says he is our hope. In Matthew chapter 1, we're given his name, we're told that his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. In 1 Timothy, he's called the King Eternal. In John 1, the Lamb of God. John 8, he's called the Light of the World. In Revelation 5, I think this is my favorite name for Jesus, the Lion of the Tribe of Judah. I think that's awesome. In Revelation 22, he's called the morning star. In John 11, he's called the resurrection and the life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he's called our rock. In John chapter 1, he's called the truth. In John 14, he's called the way. In Revelation 19, he's called the word of God. There are so many more names and references to Jesus to describe who he is and to tell us what his purpose and his character are. All of these names matter. All of them are important. But I believe there is one name that is given to Jesus in the Bible that sums up the meaning, the very purpose of Christmas. And that name is Savior. In Luke chapter 2, verse 11, we read the proclamation from the angels to the shepherds. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. That word Messiah to a Jew was sacred. That word Messiah to a Jew would, should, should have caused their souls and their spirits and their hearts to jump with joy because that's what they were looking for. That's who they were looking for, the Messiah. And here an angelic host was announcing to these shepherds that the Messiah had finally been born the word Savior literally means deliverer. The word Savior literally means nation. 
The name that the angel told Joseph to give to his son told everyone what his purpose was. He was to be the deliverer of all humanity from their sins, not just the Jews. He was to be the deliverer of the entire race of humanity. And we're just 12 days from Christmas, the day that we set aside to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And I know it's popular, it's fashionable, and usually, now that Facebook is out there over the last 20 years or so, 15 years, however it's about, it's very fashionable for people to trash others or to attack others for celebrating December 25th. And those, there are those who think that December 25th is a pagan holiday because it used to be the way, the worship of the sun god and, and all because, listen, man, it doesn't matter. We know that it's probably not the actual day, but you can't find the actual day in the Bible. So what's the big deal? How about if we just agree to celebrate the birth of a savior? That's, that, I think that's a worthy cause. Rather than waste our time worrying about whether we've got the date right or not, why don't we, why don't we just consider the purpose and the meaning? Now, most of us as believers in Jesus know what the day is about, and many of us will take time on that day or the night before to observe in some way a remembrance of Jesus' birth. Some of us will read the Christmas story from the Bible. We do that on Christmas morning before we open presents, something that my parents started as a tradition when I was a child growing up, and we do it in our home before any, pre any presents are open. We, uh, we read the Christmas story. When I was a kid, that was tough. Because you get up and you see all the presents there. It's like, man, I want to rip into the presents. I want to see what I got. But my parents made sure that we knew what Christmas was about. And we got focused on that. And uh, my sons, they, they tell you now, Gabriel and Michael are already planning. My two youngest, they're already planning where they're going to put their beanbag chairs in, in front of the tree on Christmas morning. And they say, we'll get up and I'll sit here. And Gabriel, you'll sit there and Dad will read the Christmas story, and then we'll open our presents. I've never, I haven't, we've just done that, and that's something that they have just latched onto. For our boys, that's part of Christmas. Others will have a birthday cake for Jesus. Some will sing. They'll sing songs, sing happy birthday to Jesus. Others will give thankful testimonies on Christmas Eve. Because Gabriel and Michael, their heritage is Puerto Rican. On Christmas Eve, we have a traditional Puerto Rican uh, Christmas Eve dinner. We have uh, pani and rice and beans. And uh, I can make that. I'll challenge any of you to a pork and rice and beans cooking competition. All right, I worked hard on that. Got in touch with my inner Puerto Rican and uh, worked hard on that. And it's all about the olive oil. Just telling you, it's all about the olive oil. Anyway, getting myself hungry here. But for the rest of the world, and many Christian homes, the true meaning of the celebration of Christmas will quickly be lost in a flurry of wrapping paper, cookies, dinner, and visits with family. That's how we celebrate the day. Let's try and take some time this morning, though, to remember that Christmas is about more than our traditions and tidings of comfort and joy, that there was a purpose for the birth of Jesus, the Savior King, that goes beyond even our marking the day. 
C.S. Lewis said, once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than our world. The Christmas story is about more than Jesus being born in a manger. It's about more than angels singing and shepherds worshiping and wise men adoring. It's about the love of God. It's about the purpose of humanity. It's about grace and peace and provision. The truth about the Christmas story is not just a baby's birth. It's about the birth of a savior. It's about the birth of Jesus, the savior king. Christmas is about God's plan of redemption. In 1 Timothy 4.10, we read, For this reason we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. In John 8.12, it says, Jesus spoke to them again. He said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What is both amazing and so sad to me at the same time is that in most Christian celebrations this year, Jesus will not be welcomed. Like a birthday boy not invited to his party or a bride and groom not invited to their wedding, Jesus will be ignored in many homes and celebrations this year. I, now I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a, a stupid man, I'm, I've got a little bit of intelligence. I've got years behind me. I have a lot of experience in life. But I cannot for the life of me figure out why people desperately, desperately want to get Jesus out of the celebration of his birth. The very name Christmas talks about Jesus, except for the fact that they don't want him around. They don't want a reminder of Jesus. He offends them. And therefore, they don't invite him to his own birthday celebration. Friedrich Buckner said, It is impossible to conceive how different things would have turned out if that birth had not happened. Whenever, wherever, however it did. For millions of people who have lived since, the birth of Jesus made possible not just a new way of understanding life, but a new way of living it. It is a truth that for 20 centuries, there have been untold numbers of men and women who in untold numbers of ways have been so grasped by the child who was born, so caught up in the message he taught and the life he lived, that they have found themselves profoundly changed by their relationship with him. This morning, I'm going to share with you not just the Christmas story, but the redemption story. If you're watching us on Facebook Live, I I'd ask that you really tune in and pay attention to what we have to say this morning. And if you're here this morning listening, I ask that you would really focus on what we're going to be talking about this morning. Because this is the true Christmas story, and this is the true power of Christmas. And I would ask you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that you would go back and try to remember the day that you asked Jesus to be your Savior. And you try to remember the joy and the peace and the excitement that came over you. Or if you were saved at a young age and you wandered away as so many of us did and came back and you experienced the grace of God in your life as he welcomed you back in and said, it's open. 
Because we live in a time where there are so many who are so desperately seeking something. Salvation somewhere, some way. And our society has become so skeptical and so brazenly cold and hard to anything that claims itself to be truth that they just don't want to believe. Everything is too good to be true, and that's why everything is true or not, depending on how you feel. This morning, I want to take a look at the ultimate purpose of Christmas. The first question <laughs> that I would ask comes from the very beginning. Why is it even important? Why was it even important for Jesus to be born? Why was, I mean, seriously, why was it even important? There is no doubt, there is no question, I don't care who it is, if you're going to be intellectually honest, historian, scientist, whatever, there is no doubt and no question that Jesus is the center of human history. The birth of Jesus, it actually divides human history. BC, now I know they've changed these, if you've studied history, they've changed the terminology. When I was going through school, it was BC. I wasn't in school during the BC years, but it was BC before Christ. And then AD, which means in the year of our Lord. So Jesus literally was the dividing line. The birth of Jesus was the dividing line of history. And all of history flows from that day. It looked before Christ, it looked towards his birth, and since Christ, it's looked back on his birth. And he has been the central, the central person, the, the most controversial figure ever born to this world. No one else. Listen, how would you feel? How would you feel if people just wanted to erase your existence from the earth? If they just wanted everybody to forget, not, not why you lived or what your address is, but your very birth. That's what people try to do with Jesus. So with someone so controversial, with something that is such a, uh, a touchstone, something that is so, uh, so, such a cause of friction among people throughout this world, why was it even important for him to be born? I mean, this seems like such a random occurrence. If you were to come up with a way to provide salvation for everyone ever born, I think we'd all be hard-pressed to go through this process. To have the creator... I mean, last week we talked about Jesus, the creator God, right? I mean, you think about it. Whether you are, whether you are a, a romantic and you just see the beauty in everything, and you see the beauty in God's creation. That's kind of the way I am. I, I see the beauty in everything, and I see uh, the, I look out at creation, and my heart is just overwhelmed with the love of God and the amazing things that he's given to us. Or maybe you're more of a logical thinker, and you look at creation in a very scientific way, and you, as a Christian, you can put the two together, and you see the amazing science of it all. I try that, and I see that, but it doesn't, and I think it's, I, I think it's very, the intricacy and the, 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 uh, the amazing uh, detail. I mean, think about that, the detail that Jesus went through to create everything. No matter how you look at it, I think if you look at it honestly, you would have to say 
It's amazing. The creation of God is amazing. Then think about that God that created everything in such intricate delicacy and did just incredible things. I, I would liken it to, I, I, I look back and I see Drew and I see a man, uh, and I, I'm not trying to, to buddy up to him because he's, he's here anyway, right? But if you've ever gone to Drew's restaurant or you've looked at what he, what he puts on Facebook, it's artistry. It truly is. The way he puts a meal together, the way he, if you've ever worked in food, presentation was everything, right? And I look at that and I see a man who takes such, such care and worries about the intricate, delicate details of the presentation on a plate. And then you liken that, you know, he, here's a guy that can cook that way and he'll go and get a 7-Eleven churro. <laughs> I think that, that's kind of like the creator God being born in a manger. Here is, here is the one who created all things. The one who is all powerful. The one who is all eternal. And yet the way he chose to be born to this earth is in a manger, in a stable surrounded by animals. The way it was chosen for his birth to be announced was not in palaces around the world where had he been, can you imagine if the, the way the world would have been different had the angels appeared to Caesar? If the angels had appeared to Caesar in Rome and announced the birth of Jesus, why was that? Well, because Jesus' birth wasn't a political statement. It wasn't the birth of a military revolutionary that Israel was looking for. <laughs> come to save his people from bondage. His birth wasn't about social justice. Listen, now if, if you, if you want to know where I stand on race and church and race and the church, go back about four months and you listen to my series on race and the church and you'll understand. So I think I've earned the right to say this. Stop arguing about what color Jesus' skin was. Stop being stupid. First of all, Jesus wasn't a white man, and Jesus wasn't a black man. Jesus was a Jew. If you want to know what color a Jew, if it's that important to you to know what color the skin of a Jewish person is, God, Jesus, belong, Jesus is the savior of the world. Not just the savior of the white people, not just the savior of the black people. He's not the savior of just the brown people. He's the savior of the world. And we need to get back. See, Jesus wasn't born to be a political revolutionary. Jesus wasn't born to bring about social justice. And when we fight in Jesus' name for social justice above the real purpose of why Jesus came, we're missing the point. Because listen, my friends, you can live in the freest, most equal society in the world and people will die and go to hell. Because Jesus' birth wasn't about social justice or equal rights. It just wasn't. Now, we can argue and make the point that after we accept Christ, we are to treat people differently in the way he, did, he treated them. But it's like that old phrase, putting lipstick on a pig, right? 
You can dress them up. You can dress the whole thing up, but it's still people dying and going to hell without Jesus. What was his birth? 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul wrote, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. Two amazing points in that one verse. First of all, Jesus came for the express purpose of redeeming humanity. He came to this world to save sinners from their sin. And then the second point, I think, is that is the most important point to understand. The second, most, the second uh, point here is the most important point to accept about yourself. Paul said, I was the worst of them. And we all need to understand that we are sinners just like Paul. And we are the ones for whom Jesus died. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus himself said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. We sing that song, Reckless Love, talking about leaving the 99 and going and finding the one. Man, I was that one. You are that, you were that one. And out there today, there are so many that are that one, if we would just realize it. Jesus' birth was more important than any cause. It was more important than any political movement. It was a mission to save humanity. But what was the greater plot behind the story? What was the mystery of the ages, as the Bible says, well, here it is that through this baby boy born to a virgin teenager, God was going to put in place a plan to ultimately provide examinations may have been raised in the, with, with the doctrinal stance of Calvinism, which states that Jesus Christ died and he died for, the, for sins, but he only died for the sins of the elect and that Jesus didn't die for all humanity. Folks, that, I, don't, I don't care that it was John Calvin uh, you have to understand something. John Calvin, and you can check me up, check it up with my father, uh, a man who has a doctorate in theology. John Calvin, his theology was off because John Calvin came out of the Catholic Church and never fully renounced the teachings of the Catholic Church. Therefore, John Calvin tried to take the teachings of Luther and others and make them jibe with the teachings of the Catholic Church. And he said, therefore, we cannot make a good choice. God makes it for us. And Jesus, therefore, only died for the elect. He didn't truly die for everybody. That's the doctrine of predestination. That if you're going to be saved, you're going to be saved. And if you're not going to be saved, God knows that. And God didn't choose you to be saved. What that does, that theology takes away our passion and our drive to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says Jesus Christ died, came to this earth and died for everybody. Died for all people. Everyone has, an, you want equal rights? Everybody has an equal shot at accepting Jesus Christ. Everybody. Nobody is excluded from that. 1 Corinthians 1, 25 through 27. As I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glory, well, glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Aaron, uh, in her sophomore year in college, had to write a paper on this. And it was, it was so awesome to sit down across the table from my wife. And we went out. We had a couple lunches over this, talking about this and, and discussing this and, and digging out. What, what does that mean? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, that's what God, that's what God intended you to have. He intended Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins, you to accept him, him to indwell your spirit, and now you are the hope of glory. The hope of glory lives within you, and you are what is represented to the world as Jesus Christ, eternal. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For you are saved by grace through faith, and that is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not from works, so that no one can boast. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Are we starting to get the idea and the understanding that nothing in this world truly matters as much as Jesus Christ and his ultimate purpose for humanity? Nothing in this world truly matters as much as Jesus Christ and coming to know him and your relationship with him. Oh, listen, I know we're all distracted by this world. This year has been nothing but distraction. And we're starting to see people drop. We're starting to see Christians fall away. We're starting to lose leaders from the church in America today and around the world. Can I tell you what I think the need is here, folks? And many of you are starting to struggle. Many of our church are starting to struggle. And we're just getting ready to go into winter here in New England. And we all know that, that winter in New England is... Uh, is difficult, right? What the distractions are in our lives and start focusing on what the purpose is for our lives. Listen, everything has been stripped away. For a church, everything has been stripped away for us right now. All the, all the bells and whistles of a church, everything that we, we the, the church has tried to build up and try to do, it's all been stripped away. And we've been left to bare bones now, which is probably exactly where we need to be. Because bare bones ministry is all about living for Jesus Christ and reaching people with the gospel. Because right now, they don't need an Easter egg hunt. Right now, they don't need trunk or treat. Right now, they need Jesus. Right now, they need you and they need me to live our faith loudly, purposefully, and passionately. And yes, I know, man, it's a struggle. I get it. It's a struggle. I understand. Tuesday night, East Longmeadow, they're having a school board meeting, and I've been asked to to make a, a two-minute plea to them. But now the baseball is over and they're stuck in the house. I'll ask you a question, man. How many of you, how many of you did, is anybody here a twin? Anybody a twin? Anybody have a, a sibling that is close to you in age? Close to you? Even, or if you're younger than a sibling, how would you like to be stuck in the house with them all day long. You don't get a break. You share a bedroom. You're with them all day long. How many of you like to be stuck in the house with yourself all day long? It's starting to wear on them. And my boys are pretty well adjusted. Now the baseball's over. It's starting to wear on them. It's starting to wear on all of us, folks. 
And what we have to do is stop worrying and stop focusing on the outward distractions and start focusing on Jesus. Use this opportunity. Use this time to hone your skills. Use this time to draw closer to Jesus in your life. Use this time to be comfort to others, to reach out. Have you reached out to your brothers and sisters in the church? Maybe you've wondered, hey, I wonder what so-and-so is doing. Did you call and ask? Friends that you knew from church before who have fallen away, have you called and talked to them? That's being Jesus. Now we've stepped away a little bit. Let's get back to our text. Through Jesus' birth, life, and death, God was going to make a way for humanity to be brought back to a relationship with him. That was the purpose. And that was, that's the ultimate purpose of Christmas. That's the ultimate reason Jesus came to this earth. Why was Jesus' birth even necessary? I mean, so have you ever thought through this? Maybe, maybe you haven't, maybe, uh, or maybe you have. Why was it necessary? Why was this the way it had to go? Why did Jesus have to be born? Why couldn't... Uh, there's all kinds of questions. Why was it necessary? The bottom line is, the birth of Jesus was necessary because there was a separation, and there still exists separation between God and humanity. The separation between us and God is the reason Jesus had to be born. It's not something people like to admit. It's not something people like to accept. Nowadays, we live in the, mo in the most amazing... I you know, when you read the Bible sometimes, you wonder, how in the world will this ever happen? How will people ever get to the point where they believe this? And we're there today. Where you're not allowed to have your own opinion. You have to take the opinion of others. You have to, you have to accept the opinion of the collective or you're going to be rebuked. You're going to be made fun of. You're going to be laughed at. And that is especially true for Christians who hold Christian morality. There are people, I've, I've asked people about different different beliefs and moral stands that I take. I say, well, you're allowed to have yours. Why can't I have mine? You can have your own opinion, but not that one. Okay. When people will look and say, I don't believe truth. And I believe, I believe truth. Uh, I, I believe a lie instead of the truth. And I always wondered, how is that going to get to the point where people accept a lie and reject the truth, but we're there. And no one likes to admit, no one likes to accept the fact that we are sinners or that they are sinners. None of us like to. Why? Because it tells us that there's something wrong with us on the inside. But the Bible clearly says that there's a separation between God and humanity, and that separation is because of sin. Romans 3.23 makes it very clear, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone that's ever been born falls short. And sometimes, you know, now follow me on this, sometimes it's not us that we're so much so worried about. Some of us are so concerned and, and, and get so um, offended by that verse because they think of their family that is older. Or they think of someone who is dear to them in life who didn't accept Jesus, and they say, well, I can't believe that because that would mean that so-and-so was a sinner. The fact of the matter, folks, is 
The Bible says all have sinned. Remember we talked a little bit a, a while ago about the fact that Every, that Jesus died for everyone. The reason Jesus died for everyone is because of Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the first step, but what does that actually mean? Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not only does our sin separate us from God, our sin it earns a payment, just like you work if you're able to work during the pandemic, just like you collect a paycheck, your sin has a paycheck, if you want to look at it that way. And that sin, that payment is death, both spiritually and physically. The Bible says because of our sin, we are condemned to die. You put those two together when we see that we're separated from God, condemned to die. And if there's, some, if there's not something that happens that brings us back to him, we're going to die in our sins. God's plan accomplished. Well, Jesus was born. And Jesus wasn't just born. Jesus was born to die. I just finished watching uh, all four seasons, mini, the seasons of the miniseries The Crown on Netflix, right? It's uh, about, um, about the, the um, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen of England, a lot of history in it, so I, I like history, and it was interesting to read to hear some of that. And what's amazing to me is Elizabeth was born for a, a purpose, an express purpose. She was born to be queen, and her whole life was about preparing to be queen for the one day that she would be queen. Uh, Prince Charles, same way, he's now in his 70s. And Prince Charles was born to be king. And he was, he was groomed a totally different way than his siblings to be king. But Jesus' ultimate purpose for his birth was his death. That's how God was going to accomplish his plan. His, pay, his death was to be the payment for sin for all time. The Bible says it was one sacrifice for sins forever. Romans 5.8 tells us, why Jesus died. God proves his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were the sinners. We are the sinners. We are the ones, remember, we're the ones that have earned death. We're the ones that have earned judgment. Yet Jesus Christ was born for the purpose of dying, the express purpose of dying for our sins. We see in the Old Testament the picture of his death where at Passover, the Passover lamb is taken and killed and the blood is sprinkled on the mercy seat to atone for sins. Jesus' blood was going to be shed for the sins of all humanity. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You see, Jesus' birth was ultimately for his death, to pay the price for your sins and for mine, for the sins of the whole world. You know, I think the division that we're going through in society and the way society is, is, is turning in, they're, they're using the term tribes now, and I think it's so destructive because tribes mean that we're all different and separated. And what's happening now is Christians are being relegated to their own tribe. 
And we're no longer infiltrating the world. The world is infiltrating and influencing us. We were never designed to go to war with the world. We are given the command to love. You see, if, if we've got to understand you. You say, well, Pastor John, you're preaching a salvation message, and it really is kind of preaching to the choir. It is if you look at it that way. Remember at the beginning I said, remember back the joy you felt when you first accepted Christ, the hope that was instilled, the songs we sing, that last song, The Stand, I'll Stand, man. I remember the first time we sang that song in this church. I could not keep my hands down. And for a good old Baptist boy who was raised in a fundamental Baptist church, raising your hands in church was not the thing to do. You got spoken to by a deacon. <laughs> and I couldn't keep my hands down. I couldn't sit. I remember when that song was sung, we had people in the auditorium. We had the pews back at that time. And there were people in the auditorium sitting down during worship. stood up. Hands went up in the air. And there was a wave of emotion that came over us. That's what our salvation is all about. That's what it means to us. That's what the emotion of being a believer and the passion that gets into our heart and soul reminds us of. And that's how we have to see the need of those out there. People are lost and they're dying and they're on their way to hell. And they're friends of yours. They're family of yours. And we're being divided by issues that don't really matter for eternity. And if we are divided from it, and if they see us as the enemy, and if we're allowed to be painted, if we, you understand, if we allow ourselves to be painted as the enemy and, and, and don't fight and kick back against that narrative, people are going to see us as the enemy, and they're not going to want anything we have. And what we have is Jesus, and Jesus is all that matters. And they're going to ultimately stay lost and die in their sins, and spend eternity in hell. That's what's at stake, folks. How is God's plan brought to completion? What is his end game? Well, we've talked about it already. It's your personal salvation. If you're here this morning or if you're watching us on Facebook and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've never been born again, if you've never been saved, if you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, however you want to say it, I mean, different denominations have different ways of referring to it down through the years and down through the time that I've been growing up. It's been referred to in different ways. But that's what it is. If you've never been saved, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and save you, God's plan will be brought to complete quality and harmony among the races. Those are all good things, don't get me wrong, but those are human accomplishments. And the purpose of Jesus Christ goes way beyond our personal human accomplishments. God's ultimate plan is your salvation. Jesus died so that you would have the opportunity to receive eternal life. Now, understand and, and, and remember how I said that. You have the opportunity. Many people take for granted the fact that Jesus died, and they think that's, all, that's enough. Jesus died to pay the price for sins, and so we're all set. That's not the way it works. Jesus died to pay the price for all humanity, for everybody's sin. That gives you the opportunity to receive Jesus as your Savior. 
Romans 5.19 says, For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience will many be made righteous. Hebrews 10.12, But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. The work has been accomplished. Jesus has already done what he said he was going to do. He already did what was important. He already died for the sins of humanity. He already paid the price. That doesn't settle the matter in your life. That settles the sin question, but that doesn't settle the matter in your life. What that did is give you the opportunity to accept Jesus. Corey Tenboom said, who can add to Christmas? The perfect motive is that God so loved the world. The perfect gift is that he gave his only son. The only requirement is to believe in him. The reward of faith is that you shall have everlasting life. God's ultimate plan for redemption is accomplished by you accepting the gift of the grace of God. By you accepting the gift of the grace of God. It's like Christmas, right? It's like Christmas. Do this all the time. <sighs> Under the Christmas tree this year, there will be presents, right? For most of us in our houses, if that's the way you do it, there will be presents. And on those presents will be wrapped. Personally, I think Walmart provides the perfect wrapping paper. They conveniently put the gifts in a bag for you. And if you take tape, tape that. You can write right on that bag. Voila, the gift is wrapped. See what I'm saying? But those gifts we put under the Christmas tree and they'll be wrapped in different kinds of paper. Some will have snowflakes, some will have snowmen, some will have Merry Christmas, some of them have camels with uh, people riding them. They'll have all kinds of different things. Some of them might have bows. Aaron is the kind of person that thinks a, Christmas, thinks a gift is not complete unless it has a bow on it. I disagree, but that's okay. And then someone will take the person that bought that, that gift, the person that planned for that gift, the person that put all the effort and the work into getting that gift will write someone else's name on it. Why? Because they planned for that gift, they bought that gift, they wrapped that gift for that individual. They wrote that person's name on it and they placed it under the tree. That gift is intended for that person. That gift is intended, I'll use myself, that gift under the tree is intended for John. It was bought for John. It was paid for by John. Its very purpose for existing under that tree is for John. But that gift does not become John's until John takes possession of it. Does that make sense? And it's the same thing with salvation. Jesus was born to this earth. He lived and he gave himself a willing sacrifice to pay the price for your sins and for mine. He died, his blood paid the price for all sins, as the Bible says, one sacrifice for sins forever. And the Bible even says that it's a gift of God. So the gift is all wrapped. The gift has been paid for. It was researched. It was paid for. It's been accomplished. That gift is wrapped and it has your name on it. It's waiting for you. Jesus said, I came to this earth and I died for everybody so that everybody has the opportunity to receive this gift. Listen, man, if you're watching on Facebook, that includes you. Jesus died for you. The gift has your name on it. 
But that gift does not become yours until you take possession of it. Just like Christmas time. Once you take possession, that gift now becomes yours. You must accept the gift of God's grace. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.13, for everyone who calls, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When it comes to eternity, folks, the ball is in your court. The decision is yours and the choice has to be made. And remember, not making a choice is making a choice. The choice has to be made. Now you can choose the Proverbs 14, 12 solution. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. 11, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The bottom line is this. Jesus chose to, came down, to come down from heaven and be born as a baby. He chose to live life as a human being, to experience all the joys and the heartaches, the highs and the lows of being human. He chose to spend his life spreading the message of grace and love. And then in the fullness of time, he chose to die for your sins. He paid the price. He did the work. He made the sacrifice. All you have to do is make the choice. Will you make that choice today? Would you bow your heads with me? Facebook, if you would take an attitude of prayer, I wonder this morning, if you're here with us live or if you're watching on Facebook, obviously I can't see a hand on Facebook, but I would ask you this question. Do you know, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior? Have you accepted, have you taken possession of the gift of eternal life or have you not? If there's anyone here this morning, I just ask you, there's nobody looking around, it's just you, me, and God. If you'd raise your hand and say, Pastor John, I have never accepted the gift of eternal life. In fact, until this morning, I really didn't even know what you were talking about. Is there anybody that will raise their hand and say that? Maybe if you're watching on Facebook, you would say to yourself, yes. Or you can even say to your computer, yes, that's me. Well, listen, man, the Bible clearly says that you must confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. You've got to receive the gift. How do you receive the gift? Listen, it's not by working for it. It's not by being good. You cannot earn it. You must pray and ask Jesus Christ into your heart to be your savior. Now here in just a minute, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you're a person who has never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, whether you're here with us or whether you're watching on Facebook, you can repeat this prayer after me as the Bible says, believing in your heart in faith that this is true and what matters. The Bible says you will be given the gift of eternal life. The prayer goes like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. 
I know that there is nothing that I can do to pay for my own sins. I know that I am responsible for my choice. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins and set me free from their penalty. I believe that you are offering me a free gift of eternal life if I will just believe and accept it. I now accept your gift of eternal life. I invite you into my heart to live forever. I choose you as my Savior King. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If your heads are still bowed, your eyes are still closed, listen, if you prayed that prayer here this morning, man, come and, come and talk to me if you want. Tell somebody else. Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let somebody know about your choice. If you're watching us on Facebook this morning, and you prayed that prayer, and you asked Jesus to come into your heart this morning, if you would message us, if you would have the courage to message listen, we're not going to come to your house. We're not going to. One has been found. You can send us a private message. You can send me a private message. Look me up on Facebook. Send me a message. Say, Pastor John, I prayed that prayer. I will rejoice with you. And if you choose to move forward and you want to go forward and learn more, I'll be all about that. But man, we just want to rejoice with your choice. Thanks for being here this morning. We're going to go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to preach your word. God, this is such, a, such an important message. God, it, you know it makes me the most, the most nervous to preach because I want to make sure I get it right. Father, I pray and I'm so thankful for those. Lord, I believe there are people that accepted you as their savior this morning. I believe it with all my heart. God, I pray that they'll have the courage to reach out. I'm thankful for them, thankful for this church. And I'm thankful for all that you've done. God, may we live in the power of your grace and love. And may everything we do bring glory to you. Bless us as we go from here today. And may our lives honor you in all things. In your name we pray. Amen.